to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to one of Hong Kong's most listened to financial podcasts, Money Talk. We're also now one of the most popular financial podcasts in Singapore as well. So thank you for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and it offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. Here are the business and finance headlines for Friday the 28th of July. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has raised interest rates by 25 basis points to 5 and 3 quarter percent. That's the highest since 2007 and mirroring the US Federal Reserve's rate increase. The city's de facto central bank warned that rates will likely remain high for some time. Hong Kong's commercial banks raised their prime rates for the second time this year. HSBC, Hang Seng Bank and Bank of China said they will raise their best lending rates by 12.5 basis points to a 15-year high of 5.875%. And their saving rates will go up by the same amount to 0.875. The new rates will take effect from today for HSBC and Hang Seng and on Monday for the Bank of China. Standard Chartered Bank and Bank of East Asia will raise their prime rates by the same margin to 6.125% starting Monday and they will also pay 0.875% to savers. The European Central Bank raised interest rates by 25 basis points yesterday, a ninth consecutive rate hike, and that brought the rate on the deposit facility to 3.75%, matching a high last reached in 2001. Justifying the move, ECB President Christine Lagarde said inflation had remained too high for too long despite the recent slowdown. But the ECB also indicated it was more confident price pressures were on a downward path and signalled that eurozone borrowing costs may have peaked. Economic growth in the US was stronger than expected in the second quarter despite a series of aggressive interest rate rises from the Fed. The US economy expanded at an annualised rate of 2.4% quarter on quarter, that's higher than the 2% in the first quarter and well above market expectations of 1.8%. Consumer spending growth slowed after a strong start to the year, but the reduction was more than offset by strong business investment in both inventories and fixed assets. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lun, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. With a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, CEO at Staten Partners. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Wall Street Thursday, US stocks reversed gains from earlier in the session to close lower as a rise in Treasury yields accelerated. The Dow finally ran out of steam yesterday and snapped a rally of 13 straight gains, which was the longest winning streak since January 1987. And if the rally had continued for a 14th day, the index would have tied its record winning streak, which goes all the way back to 1897. The Dow, which was higher by 125 points at one stage, fell 237 points or 0.7% to 35,283. The S&P 500 rose in the morning session to above the key 4,600 level for the first time since March 2022. 
However, it gave up its gains to close 0.6% lower at 4,537. The Nasdaq Composite slid 0.6% to 14,050. Yields on US government bonds climbed after the latest economic data was released. The sell-off in Treasuries was strongest in the belly of the curve, with the 10-year yield reclaiming the 4% level. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury added 15 basis points to 4%, reflecting a sharp drop in the price of the debt instruments. And the two-year note, which is particularly sensitive to short-term interest rate expectations, was up 10 basis points to 4.93%. The rise in Treasury yields steepened after Nikkei Asia reported that the Bank of Japan will discuss making changes to its closely watched yield curve control policy of buying bonds to depress yields at its monetary policy meeting today, including potentially allowing long-term rates to rise above the BOJ's previously permitted cap of half a percent. The yen strength of 0.5% passed 139 against the dollar from just above 141 in earlier in the day following the Nikkei Asia report. Hong Kong stocks led gains in the Asia-Pacific region. The Hang Seng Index traded 274 points higher, or 1.4%, at 19,639. The Hang Seng Tech Index surged 2.9%, and it's risen 19.7% from its May low. That's a whisker away from entering a new bull market. In mainland China, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.2% to 3,217. Shares in Chinese car makers jumped on Thursday after German auto giant Volkswagen announced a surprise tie-up with Chinese rival Xpeng in an attempt to boost its presence in the mainland's highly competitive electric vehicle maker. Her market. Xpeng's Hong Kong listed shares jumped almost 34%. Hong Kong listed shares of domestic peer Neo jumped 13.4% higher. Li Auto rose 2.7%. But at the morning, this morning, it looks like those gains are going to evaporate. Futures markets are pointing to a loss of about 335 points at the open. That's 1.7%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our Friday morning guests. We have with us Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Hi, good morning. And also joining us is Kenny Wen, Head of Investments at KGI. Morning, uh, morning, Kenny. Good morning. And um, let's talk about the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. The yeah. Hong Kong Monetary Authority it raised interest rates, didn't it, by 25 basis points to 5 and 3 quarter percent. That's the highest since 2007. Mirrors the US Federal Reserve's rate increase. The city's de facto central bank warned that rates will likely remain high for some time and Hong Kong's commercial banks as you heard earlier raised their prime rates for the second time this year um Kenny and Francis, what do you think is the impact of this? Because rates for Hong Kong <laughs> are sort of now in the quite restrictive territory, aren't they, given where uh, our economy is? But, uh, but, but the f- thing is, uh, uh, for mortgages, uh, people uh, paying on the uh, 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 high bar plus something, they are paying much more now. They may, maybe the interest expense is double 
what what they used to pay last year. So uh, the uh, uh, because the Hong Kong dollar is linked to the U.S. dollar. If uh, you if interest rate rises in the U.S. and Hong Kong has to rise, otherwise you will have carry trade arbitrage, and which, mm. which will uh, weaken the link. So uh, uh, it will hurt the property market. I think uh, from the rating evaluation department, they say the. Uh, uh, property prices falling for the fourth straight month or something like that. Mm. Second, I think it was the second straight month, down half a percent uh-huh. on the month on month. But you're yeah. right, property prices are starting to fall once again, aren't mm-hmm. they? After looking like maybe they were stabilising a bit earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Kenny, what, what's the effect of this on, on Hong Kong and also, I suppose, on, on Hong Kong markets? Obviously, with a rising interest rate, that will hurt the investment sentiment because we are having a higher borrowing costs or funding costs. Uh, we can refer this in a listed company. Their funding costs increased significantly for the past one year. But luckily, we have two uh, issues. First of all, uh, during the past year, the magnitude of interest rate hike in Hong Kong is less than U.S. And and the mm-hmm. second point is uh, we should be approaching the end of rate hike cycle. So we are at the end of the cycle that's good but i think the key point is uh, not to focus too much uh why or uh the, the why or uh, when we will have the interest rate hike because this is the reality we're having the uh packed exchange way we need to follow the us but the key point is uh, how to adjust our portfolio how to rebalance our investment strategy that may be uh, even more important but anyway i think uh hopefully maybe uh this week, uh, week hike uh, is the last one, uh, but we think that uh, the interest rate will remain at the high level uh, until at least the, uh, third, uh, the first quarter of next year. So do prepare that a high interest rate environment will last for at least uh, another nine month. Mm. I mean, there could be maybe another rate rise this year, couldn't there? But I suppose the key point is that even if there is, we're at the end rather than the beginning of the of the rate hiking cycle. Yes, especially I think uh, in this moment it's too early to make a decision whether they will have another rate hike because we still have two times uh, CPI, PCE, and mm. also the labour markets. So according to Powell, he said that they are data dependent minute by minute. So uh, we still need to focus on the coming economic data in order to analyse whether we have another hike. Uh, but anyway, I think the market is, is still thinking that uh, this week rate hike is the last one. Mm. So the, the key thing is then we're near the end of the rate hiking cycle. So you say the key thing now is how do you rebalance your portfolio? So Yeah, for example, uh, because I, I do have some cash, I, I am quite happy for the past one year when we, might, when we put the money into fixed deposit. We're enjoying Four percent, five percent, which is very attractive. It's worth looking in that, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> After almost a very long time, zero interest rate environment, so I, I'm having uh, quite quite good uh, interest income from the fixed deposit. Yeah. wasn't that long ago, was it? That they were zero, and we were thinking yeah, maybe we're going to have to pay our bank to hold exactly. our money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Francis, what, what impact does this have then on investment portfolios? What should we be looking to do, given that, you know, the consensus seems to be, if it's right, that we're near the end of the Fed's rate hiking cycle? Well, if, if you look for uh, interest rates uh, to fall next year, maybe you will start to move some of the uh, portfolio from bonds to uh, stocks. 
mm. because uh, uh, even though the uh, uh, you you can get 4.5 uh, uh, interest rate in Hong Kong dollar deposit. But uh, actually, there are quite a number of blue chip stocks that are paying much more than that in dividend, like all the mainland banks and and the telecoms. They're paying mm. from uh, eight to nine percent yield. So uh, if 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 the bond prices are going to fall next year, then you 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 will do better by by uh, moving your investment from bonds to stocks. Yeah, well, we will using the traditional wisdom is uh, maintain a balanced portfolio. Uh, if uh, and, and that means for list for point of listeners, that means roughly sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds. Is uh, that about right? It depends on the individual investor uh, with uh, tolerance level. But anyway, we should have a balanced portfolio between uh, cash, bonds, as as well as equities. We do agree that with France's uh, equity well, may have a better uh, outlook uh, for coming six months. But anyway, uh, for new money, we do think that bonds still offer a relatively uh, healthy uh, investment outlook because if we buy bonds now, for example, investment grade bonds, we can lock in a uh, higher interest, which is the highest level in the past 10 years, mm. for, for example, 4% or 5%. And then if uh, next year, if the Federal Reserve really cutting their interest rate, we may uh, also enjoy mild capital gain from the bonds. So I think for balancing the portfolio, uh, fixed investment uh, bonds still have a, their their value. And, and for equities, uh, because we think U.S. recession is uh, just delayed it, not avoided. So, so you think there will be a recession? Because Jerome they, Powell said yesterday <laughs> he, he now thinks, that, or his economists are telling him there won't be one this year. Uh, <laughs> are you really trust him? I've <laughs> <laughs> so never I, met the man, but... Uh, but, but it doesn't that, look like the US will enter into a recession. Uh, uh, difficult to, to say. I mean, the data today was very strong, wasn't yes, it? I agree. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's much better than uh, our original expectation, especially the housing market uh, mm. for existing home sales. But do remember that with a higher interest rate and tightened credit standard, that will always uh, have a lacking impact, negative impact on, on the economy. So we still think that there may be some chance for next year uh, the economy will slow down. Uh, but why, whether it we have recession or not is still too early to say. But anyway, we still worry that the economy will slow down, especially for next year. So uh, and also for US equity market, I, I know it's very strong, but uh, in terms of the valuation, it's a little bit demanding. It's already reflecting a lot of beautiful outlook, uh, especially for the AI stocks. So uh, do prepare some correction. In this case, I think a balanced portfolio, having cash bonds uh, can minimize our short-term investment weeks. Mm. T- tell me this then. Why should the Fed stop raising rates now, given that inflation, core inflation, is still over 4%, the job market is very tight, as we saw from that data today, GDP is actually accelerating um, rather than decelerating. (laughs) Why on earth should the Fed stop raising rates in those circumstances? Well, uh, the high interest rate is eating into uh, economic growth. Uh, If you increase interest rate any higher, you will have a real recession but but now not so far though not so far but 
but right now they are, I think they're just right. Uh, it's high enough to, to slow down inflation, but not high enough to cause a recession. So I think the Federal Reserve can will do well just keeping interest rate at this level right now, 5.5%. Yeah, especially we focus on uh, including the core inflation, it still dropped down a little bit below the 5%. five percent. So I think maintaining the restrictive uh, policy stance uh, and also the interest rate at a relatively high level is maybe in love with we are seeing the downward trend on the inflation. But you do make a a good point is that I just thinking that the U.S. market performs so good is not only uh, because of uh, investment expecting at the end of the uh, wait time cycle. Mm. If they are talking about soft landing. Mm. That we were talking about stronger GDP growth with a manageable or downward uh, chain inflation. That's what we call Goldilocks economy. That is quite, quite <laughs> everything's good. perfect yes. except the weather, except the temperature. Okay. <laughs> so I think a soft landing is the key investment theme right now, driving <laughs> the investment market. But I, 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 I doubt it because using the past data, soft landing is very difficult to very achieve. I, I also wonder if maybe the shock. Uh, towards the end of the year is actually going to be um, rates going up more than people expect because the consensus now is so much that you know uh, we're going to avoid the hard landing rates are going to come down next year we're near the end of the cycle but what if you know GDP growth carries on this strength we've got a very tight labor market people are finding it easy or they're very confident that they can get new jobs consumer spending's holding up at the moment um, and now commodity prices are starting to rise again you know, you know, over the last past month, past month, we've seen metals prices, food prices, oil prices all start to rise again. Mm-hmm. Could the shock be to the upside? It could be, but nobody knows really. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got to take a view, haven't we, uh, but, for our investment portfolios? Yeah, but, but but the key thing is really the Chinese economy. Uh, China is not doing so well this year. And uh, if if you judge by uh, uh, consumer spending and especially unemployment, uh, 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 China's economic growth seems to have slowed down very noticeably this year. And China cannot provide jobs, enough jobs for graduating uh, students. Uh, there are 11 million of them. Uh, I think uh, uh, I spoke to some uh, graduating students from China uh, this week. And some people say that uh, the youth unemployment is approaching 50% instead of the 21% really? official. Really? <laughs> so, wow. I mean, that's, I mean, it's already a problem, isn't it, at yes, over 21%. Yes, yeah. But if it's really 50%, because I suppose one of the problems is that the jobs data doesn't really capture very well the rural areas, mm. does it? It, it mm. looks at the big cities, but it misses out uh, a lot of things that are going on in the countryside. And, uh, according yeah. to the, uh, the calculation method, if you work for one hour per week, actually you are employed. It. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. If you're a KOL, you're yeah, also exactly. considered employed. Yeah, we may refer to the definition is quite loose. Wow, okay. <laughs> so what does this mean then? I mean, for Hong Kong stocks, I'm, I'm wondering 
if we're witnessing here a bit of a turning point because we've had a bad year haven't we yeah um but if we look at this week the hang seng now is up three percent this week it's up uh about 3.8 percent for the month of july although for the year it's still down it's down mm-hmm. about 0.7 percent it's one of the world's worst performing equity markets but are we seeing this month finally maybe a sign that things are stabilizing and bottoming Yes, I think so. I think I think uh, the key turning point is what uh, Premier Li Chang said. Uh, they they want the uh, private uh, sector economy to contribute to economic growth, especially the internet platforms. They mm-hmm. want them to uh, start the growing again because ever since 2020, 2020, uh, they're trying to clamp down. On the growth of the uh, of these uh, huge uh, internet companies like Alibaba and Tencent, but uh, what the, what what they found out is two years later, uh, the, these internet giants are hiring mm. and people are not finding work, and mm. that is a time bomb. They they have to solve this problem. So uh, instead of clamping down on the uh, private sector, they want they want to encourage the private sector to grow again. Mm. And presumably that's because private firms, they contribute around about, I think, 60% to GDP and they're about 80% of urban employment. So these firms mm-hmm. are important. But if, if we look at the figures in June, they've actually been cutting investments. They're, they're cutting investment by about 0.6% year on year, whereas the state-owned enterprises are, are growing investments over 7%. So a big difference, isn't there, between state-owned firms yeah. and private investment. But presumably this is why the government is so convinced concerned it yeah. needs the private companies to contribute they have to reverse the trend really yeah i think uh this very political meeting is very important especially uh, if you compare the statement with the april one uh the the attitude the stance is totally different uh now they are pro growth they are already identified the government already identified the potential risk from the economy so they will try their best to launch different types of uh, uh, stimulus policy to uh boost up the economy so i think coming few weeks will be very important uh, uh, because after the meeting, after the statement, uh, people are looking for what actually will be executed uh, in terms of the policy to support the economy. But anyway, uh, that's why I think is uh, uh, the the market sentiment improved it is because uh, driven by the meeting uh, uh, attitude. Well, let me dig into the the Politburo statement a little bit more with you and some of the things that were specifically in it that that maybe were quite significant. First of all, on housing. Now, the statement dropped this reference that housing are to uh, to live in, not for speculation. Remember, President Xi Jinping first came up with that, I think, back in about 2016. It's been in the Politburo statement um, every year, every uh, every six months uh, for the last few years, suddenly this time taken out. So house significant is the removal of that phrase well people think think this rather significant it's a sign that the government acknowledged that uh, you need some speculation in the property market because if the property prices are not rising Nobody will buy. Mm. <laughs> if nobody buys any property, then the property <laughs> companies will collapse and, and leaving the country with uh, something like, uh, well, uh, 20 trillion hole in debt or something like that. So, so, so I think uh, one way to save the property market and the property comp- developers is really 
to uh, encourage some speculation and and drive up the property prices, people will start buying again. Yeah, I think property market is too important because it related different sectors. So mm. if you want to support the economy without the stabilization of property market, you, you can't achieve mm -hmm. it. But one key point is that, yes, in the statement, we did not see the wording of uh, 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 housing are not for speculation, but we still have another key works, which is I think the media and investor is uh, omitted. According to the statement, uh, they still focusing uh, individual city should focus on their uh, situation and launch out their own policy. So I guess they will not have uh, any national wise policy to support. But in terms of the individual city, they will depend on their own situation and adjust their uh, property policy. So uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, do not be over optimistic because there's still some keywords. Maybe everyone is too, too mm -hmm. happy or too optimistic, uh, uh, not seeing those wordings. Does this mean then that local officials are going to be taking the decisions now about yes. what to do about their own property sector, um, about land uh, and sales and so on? Yes, I think so. Because that's a big change, isn't it? Because Beijing mm -hmm. finds it hard to allow local governments to have control <laughs> over almost anything. So yeah. this is a big change for mm -hmm. them. But because for national-wise, it's difficult to to, to, to launch uh, a, a large scale of policy to support the, the, the sector. Mm. Uh, because the, the underlying uh, methodology is still uh, want to uh, not relying on the old traditional method of, of uh, uh, stimulus, the property uh, market. So I think that's why they will put the pressure of responsibility to the uh, local uh, city government. Mm. So do you think this is sort of like a tacit admission that that three red lines policy was, was basically wrong? Because that's what's done the damage, <laughs> isn't it, really, to the, to the property sector? <laughs> well, they, 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 they control the property, property, property developers too late. Uh, they, they should never have allowed uh, companies like Evergrande to grow to be so big and so heavily indebted to the tune of something like two. 2.4 trillion. Yeah. They should have controlled it years ago. So it was the right idea, but too late, the yeah, wrong time. I, yeah. I agree that it's too, uh, maybe not too late, but I agree that the timing is not good because uh, for the past few years, we have the COVID-19. Without the pandemic, uh, the policy, elective impact may not be so strong to destroy the whole industry. So uh, the policy idea is good, but timing is arguable. Mm, okay. Well, another thing they talked about in that Politburo statement was tackling local government debt. No. Uh, the, the meeting, this is the, quoting from the statement, the meeting also urged defusing local government debt risks with a package of plans, but then it didn't say what the package of plans was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, so how is this done? How, because this is a big, big issue, isn't it? Because yeah, they, they, they say something like 100 billion or something like that uh, uh, that uh, well, is the about 13 trillion dollars of government trillion. in wow. local government finance vehicles <laughs> US dollars that is so about 94 US trillion renminbi wow. about 13 trillion US dollars in local government finance vehicles I, I think a lot of it is accumulated over the uh, 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 zero case policy during the past three years so 
uh, I, I think the, the government, the central government, uh, will have to bail the local government out because there's no other choice. Because previously, the local government depend on selling land to pay for all the expenses. Now the property market is that they cannot raise revenue by selling land. What, what can they do? But if, if, the, if they want local governments to sort these things out on a local government role, then there isn't going to be the central government bailout, is there? Or is, or is that just inevitable in the end that that's going to have to come? I think it's inevitable. I, I, I don't see how the local government can raise so much debt. Something like one hundred trillion. Wow, that that is an enormous astronomical figure. <laughs> to, to solve the problem is too challenging. It takes uh, many many years, and I think, uh, including everyone will will pay the bill, including banking sector banking sector. According to one research paper from a, a large financial company, they think that because of the, uh, the, the, the debt issue, uh, those uh, what we call the uh, banking, system, uh, banking sector, they will reduce the interest rate payout for the coming few years. Mm. So th- really then, does this mean we're not going to see the big bazooka from the central government, a huge stimulus package, because partly they can't afford it. They don't want to <laughs> go and build up even more debt on, on top of this. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. It's all, they're, they're all slogans, like something like 31 <laughs> the, uh, policies to boost the economy. I think mean, we'll hear that over yeah. and over again. 50 ways to leave your lover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, what about employment? They talk about employment. We mentioned that a bit earlier. Youth unemployment is 21.3% in June. They said from the Politburo statement, it's necessary to increase the protection of people's livelihoods and raise the issue of stabilising employment to a strategic height. But then once again, we didn't get any details of how exactly this is going to happen. First of all, for the Politburo uh, uh, meeting, they're talking about the direction. For the detailed measures, usually we will share or announce by uh, by other uh, departments in the coming few weeks, so uh, mm. don't be too uh, don't be bearish. But anyway, I think it's a very difficult task. Uh, the only way is to, to boost up the economy, mm. uh, in, including the private sector. In this case, will be uh, more people can find jobs and to to reduce the uh, unemployment rate gradually. Mm. I think the uh, ex premier Li Keqiang was right. He said uh, 600 million uh, Chinese uh, living below the poverty line. Um, wh- what, we ha- what we can do is boost the street economy. Uh, let, let people be street hawkers selling things on, on the street. I think that is one way to uh, uh, lower the, um, uh, defuse the unemployment time bomb. It's not what you go to college, though, to do, really, is it? <laughs> that's, the, that, well, that's the issue. Well, that, that is the, uh, the truth. That is the reality that China is facing. There are not enough jobs for college graduates. China is turning out too many college graduates, mm-hmm. just like Hong Kong. There are too many universities, more than 10 of them. Some of them cannot even get 50 students to enroll. Mm, The problem is, though, there's a mismatch, isn't there, between what employers want Mm -hmm. and what the universities are turning out. And that's true all over the world. If you want to... In the UK, too. Yeah, you might want a plumber, but you can get someone not easily who's got a university degree in psychology, but he can't mend your taps. That's partly (laughs) part of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. 
Now, what about getting people spending again? The Politburo statement said the meeting also called for precise and effective controls of macroeconomic measures, Mm -hmm. including proactive fiscal and prudent monetary policy measures. Um, And basically what they wanted was they want people to go out and buy more furniture, redecorate their apartments, join a sports club, all those types of things. Do you think there's enough there to encourage people to go and do that? Or is, is, if the government well, just says it, will people go and do it? Well, Chinese have a lot of uh, savings. Chinese yes. say something like 20 to 30% of their income. So they have money to spend, except that they're all saving for the future, not <laughs> keeping the money in the bank, not spending. So I think the problem is not lacking money or lacking liquidity. Uh, it's lacking of confidence. Uh, especially, I remember that last time we talked about the excess saving in the banking system. So they worry about future, that's why they save a lot. So when the economy stabilizes and they can see the future getting better with a rising uh, property prices, stock prices, I think they will save less and even they may use the... Yeah, they will saving. spend more yeah, exactly. so <laughs> when they feel wealthy. It's a positive loop. So everything is talking about the economy. <laughs> so how in talking about confidence, what about foreign investors' confidence? Because that's been pretty badly damaged yeah, yeah, this year, still hasn't declining. it? Have yeah. they seen enough here, do you think, to encourage them to think, well, maybe now is the time to start going back into the China market? Yeah, I think Volkswagen's investment in Xiaopang is a good sign that uh, uh, China is the leader in the uh, electric vehicles. So uh, why don't you buy into it? Mm. Volkswagen is taking the right step. But I worry that it's maybe just a, a, a single cases. But for the overall confidence for foreign investment to go back into China, I think after the, the past few years, it takes times. Mm. This this in- Volkswagen deal is interesting, isn't it? Yes. In some ways, it's a good deal for both sides because Volkswagen's sure. been losing market share yeah. on the mainland. At the same time, um, Xpeng is not profitable. He's got all this nice technology, <laughs> making all these yeah. ca- all these cars, but mm. not making any money out of it. So yeah. this could be an interesting tie-up. Yeah, it? it's a yes. win-win situation for both. I think. Mm. But it does show, doesn't it, just how important now the Chinese auto manufacturers, particularly the EV manufacturers, have become um, and how big they've come. Because it wasn't that long ago that they were mm-hmm. looking at the US and Germany for you know, manufacturing skills. Now yeah. the Germans and the Americans are coming to China to learn from them. Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, Ford is uh, partnering with the Emperex, uh, uh, CATL to be, be the partner in the battery factory in, in the U.S., in Kentucky and Tennessee. Mm. So there's, there's a, a, another tie-up in the auto industry. Yeah, many investors ask me that uh, what AI stock should buy in Hong Kong. I just replied that if you want to buy AI stock, go to U.S. Our strength is EV. So right. yeah, we have our own strength. Just pack the right stock in the right market. Because we've got lots listed here. And we've got NEO, we've got Li Auto, as well as Xpeng. There's, quite a, yeah, there's yeah. quite a few to choose from, aren't there? Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting times, isn't it? Uh, we're going to see maybe a lot happening over the next uh, next few months. Hope so. <laughs> Look forward to talking about it more with you. Thank you very much for coming in and have a great weekend. Thank you, you heard okay. there Francis Lun, the CEO of GEO Securities, and Kenny Wen, who's head of investment strategy at KGI Asia. Peter Lewis is money talk. 
I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Uh, busy week, isn't it, for central banks? Let's start with the uh, the Fed. They've raised the uh, the Fed fund rates by 25 basis points, currently at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. That's the highest level since January 2001. Of course, what everyone was waiting to see is, are there going to be any more? Do you think we got any clues from either the statement or what Jerome Powell said? Well, um, so it's at the highest in 22 years, as you say, five. Um, he did suggest that it's going to be completely data-driven. Um, and I guess that's what we can discuss a little bit around what is the data showing. Um, I think the things on the positive side that probably lean towards um, an end to the cycle is that inflation is coming off. Right? Mm. There's no question that it's coming off. But his uh, comments suggest that they'll be a little sticky. And the data we're seeing um, most recently, you know, with the tight labour market, jobless numbers are still pretty good. The GDP overnight was was better than expected. Some of the other lead indicators are looking pretty solid. Consumers actually performing pretty well um, would suggest that there's probably a potential for another one or two in the in the pipe. Um, I think the market's reflecting on possible pause in September, um, but I think it's too early to call the end. We're going to get a lot of data between now and September, aren't we? I'm, I'm wondering if the shock may be to the upside on inflation because the hard work has been done now. Everyone's saying, you know, this is the end of rate rises. Uh, the Fed's now on hold for the rest of the year. But we're starting to see commodity prices move up again in oil, in agricultural uh, prices, in uh, industrial metals, all starting to tick up again. And then, as, as you say, we saw that good GDP print overnight, 2.4%. The labour market is still looking pretty tight. People are confident they can get a job. I'm sort of thinking the shock could be to the upside. Well, I think the bond market gave some indication of that overnight. You know, 10-year yield hit 4%, mm-hmm. another eight basis points up on the two-year. So you're right. I think that maybe the market um, started to reprice a little bit of that. And then equity markets ran out of steam um, uh, despite the stronger GDP number. Um, and that probably reflects a little bit that uh, maybe the you know the, the the investors are starting to realise well actually the economy might be pumping a little bit too strong. Um, some of those price pressures may re-emerge or at least stay sticky, and the Fed might be pushing to try to get it down because if you look at it at around five you know even it's at four point eight percent better than expected it's still well above target. Mm. And even though the heavy lifting may be done at least from the the very highs we saw, which was seven eight percent, it starts to slow down now, and you know inflation gets sticky above target, the Fed are going to be concerned about that. I'm wondering how married the Fed is to its 2% inflation targets. Uh, they, I think they did say in the statement, didn't they, they were determined to get it, inflation down to 2%. But if they are going to really stick rigidly to this 2% target, there's potentially a lot more pain to come, isn't there, in terms of further rate hikes. Whereas if they were maybe to say, look, we can live with inflation at 3%, then perhaps they don't have to go and tip the economy into recession. It, it sort of seems to be an important dividing line. Well, I think it, it's probably true that they would accept 3%, but they're not going to tell the market that. Mm. Um, because if they say it's, they're okay with 3 then the market will be okay with 4 you know? Yeah, um, it sort of becomes the sense. flaw, so, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. So I would suspect that you're not wrong in so much as they probably can live with 3% average inflation. Uh, I think, don't think it's unreasonable, but they don't want to tell the market that. Mm. And they don't want to give that expectation because we know that inflation – 
um, is predominantly a reflection of expectation as opposed to you know necessarily purely price data driven. So I think that would be the, why the Fed will continue to to be very aggressive in its language, even if it does pause on rates in the coming months as data sort of you know uh, on the inflation side shows a, a sort of leveling. I suspect they're going to still target 2% because they'll want to make sure the market doesn't give up on inflation. I suppose it means then that we've got to be looking at every piece of data just like the Fed is. Because as you say, the, the Fed is never going to say, are they, here we are, we've reached the end of the tightening cycle, ring a bell so that we all know. We'll only know that that's happened maybe several months after the event. So in the meantime, we're left with this sort of guessing game and, and watching every single piece of individual data that comes in, like the PCE data that's going to come out tonight. Well, and if you look within the GDP numbers overnight, the the inflation um, figures within the GDP numbers were really good. Uh, 2.6%, I think, was the print mm. uh, versus the 3.2%. So there is some pause for optimism on, on the inflation story, but I think we're still core inflation still too high for the Fed. Um, you're right about data, and again, you know, uh, you've got to look at what is a lead indicator versus a lag indicator. And one of the key lag indicators that they're sweating on is is the labour market. It's you know uh, it's it stayed strong uh, uh, persistently even with all these rate hikes and I think that's the one um, key indicator on the lag side that the Fed are sort of hoping starts to show signs of softening sufficient for them to hold and so that the rate rises are done that hasn't been reflected even overnight the jobless claims number were below expectations um, two twenty one thousand versus two thirty five expected okay one number doesn't make a story but. In essence, the, the labour market tightness has been one of the conundrums that central banks haven't been able to resolve. Mm. Now, we've also had the European Central Bank, of course, meeting. They raised rates as well by 25 basis points. Uh, that takes the rate on their deposit facility to three and three quarter percent, which is also uh, the, the highest reached uh, or the joint highest reached in 2001. So the ECB so far has raised rates now by 425 basis points. Any sign there, do you think, that uh, they're near a top? I think uh, uh, Christina Lagarde was clear to say they weren't there yet. They indicated that inflation is declining and that there's potential pause in September. But I think the terminal rate probably is a little higher from where we are now. Um, and inflation, uh, what do we got at five and a half, is still at the core level, still too high in Europe. Um, there is a bit of a mixed story in Europe. You've got Germany potentially in recession. Um, whereas Spain and, and some other co economies are doing better. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And again, uh, it'll be data-driven over the coming months. I mean, this is uh, they're in a much more difficult position than the Fed, aren't they? At least the Fed has the advantage of an economy that's growing quite strongly, whereas, as you mentioned, in, in the Eurozone, some economies like Germany are in, um, are in recession and inflation uh, is still pretty high there. Yeah, I think this is uh, more challenging for the uh, the central bank in, in Europe um, because of the nature of the disparity. Uh, and then you can look, you know, slightly uh, with the UK as well. It's got a particularly peculiar challenge on inflation as well versus a slowing economy. So, yeah, a little bit more tricky. Um, the rates are still to hit the level where the Fed um, have moved um, uh, rates in the US. So I suspect there's a bit a little bit more to do um, with the ECB. They may yet pause in September, and that'll be probably reflective of where the Fed are as much as anything because they want to look at some comparatives there.
Now, what about the Bank of Japan? The Bank of Japan meets today. Um, Governor Ueda has been talking about, um, you know, unless he sees sustainable inflation, there's no need to change monetary policy. But then last night, once again, we had one of these reports that suggests that they are going to look at it. The Nikkei Asia said the Bank of Japan is going to discuss making changes to the yield curve control policy at today's meeting. One of the tweaks could potentially allow long-term rates to rise above uh, the Bank of Japan's cap of half a percent. Um, that affected the U.S. bond markets and the U.S. dollar um, last night. Uh, Treasury yields shot up after that uh, report, as did the U.S. dollar um, as well. But how much credence do we put into that? I suppose we're going to find out pretty shortly. Pretty shortly we will, I think, uh, 1 p.m. our time here in, in, in Australia. Um, I don't think they obviously, I don't think they'll move on rates, uh, you know, in terms of the, the official cash rate. Um, the inflation number that came out uh, earlier was, I think it was a figure on Tokyo this morning, slightly stronger than expected, around 3% on core. Um, but last week on the national figure was slightly softer at 3.2%. Um, the weaker US dollar that they've had over the last month has sort of take some of the imported inflation pressure out of Japan. On the flip side, you've got uh, commodity prices, you mentioned it earlier, going up, oil in particular. And uh, and for Japan, um, wages as well, probably a little stronger than, than what they'd forecast. So there might be some argument, and it will probably be at the limit of the yield curve control within the Bank of Japan. So I think there's some thesis to suggest that that could happen. I don't know. Um, but if one thing with Japan, they, they haven't had inflation for 20-odd years, they're probably mindful to, to let it run a little bit mm. um, uh, from to get that escape velocity in the economy, which they've sort of started to get. So I, my sense of it is that they're not in a hurry, but they may do something on the yield curve control, reflective of um, the need to maybe um, look forward a little bit in terms of uh, the parameters they've set. They are coming under pressure, though, aren't they? In the opposite sense to the Fed, whereas the Fed is under pressure now to bring an end to rate rises, the Bank of Japan, the pressure seems to be increasing for them to raise them because the core core CPI, which excludes food and energy, that was 4.2% in June, so a 40-year high um, for that. It seems to be getting harder and harder for um, the Bank of Japan to resist what seems to be market pressure on on, on actually sort of um, withdrawing this yield curve control policy or easing it anyway yeah but i think the dynamics are different you know japan's had you know decades of deflation uh, and you know so the central banks um probably have a different dynamic view of where you know where they see it relative to the u.s and that's obviously reflected in the currency and and, and the relativities there i suspect they're looking at it closely you know they did move under some pressure on the yield curve control you know if you recall back when the bond market started to try to force force their hand a little bit through the futures markets when it was a 0.25 so you know some pressure may lead to a, a shift in that in that view and i i'd say it's 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 going to happen whether it happens this meeting i don't know Mm. If, by chance, the Bank of Japan does surprise us, because it has done it before, hasn't it? It did it at the end of last year and changes its yield curve control policy. What's the impact on the markets? Well, initially, I guess you'd say that, you know, uh, good for yen yen, um, uh, would be the first thing. From an economic perspective, it would be a reflection of of either positive and negative. So you'll get the, the positive on the basis that, um, they see that economic activity might be driving prices, which has a, a positive impact overall on on the GDP figures, 
at the same time they start to show a negative on the basis that they're worried about inflation. Mm. So uh, on on that factor, you probably see you know a bit of a mixed mixed response. But clearly for the yen, it'll be positive. And not so good for Japanese equities. Probably not, because on balance, that would be more of a concern that they're likely to be more concerned about inflation than what they were previously. So in terms of equities overall, um, the Fed on hold, if that consensus is right, that interest rates have peaked or very close to peaking um, in the US, what does this mean now for your portfolios? What should you be looking to do going forward from here? Well, I think, you know, I think a fair few people this year have been uh, missed out the rally, at least over the last three months, um, because they probably felt the market was going to, to come off. Equity values were too high and they were going to get a chance to buy them cheaper. I think what we've seen over the summer months in the north is probably be, um, a few people stopping out of that view and, and getting in. So the extension of the rally is probably more than what would be fundamentally reasonable. Mm. So our expectation is that you know, it, it, it's, it's running out of steam, the rally, and it'll need a new driver, i.e. better inflation numbers, uh, you know, stronger GDP. So a nice little combination of that Goldilocks scenario that everyone sort of hoping more than thinking will happen in the US. Um, so from an investor's perspective, it's probably another time to jump in if you're already invested, um, probably best to hold. I think for those looking to get into the market, there is still some opportunity to probably wait for a, for a dip. But I think this has been the, the conundrum for a lot of people this year is they've waited for a bigger dip, hoping that... Um, uh, the impact of higher interest rates would force a slower in the a slowing of the economy such that equity prices would fall for an opportunity to, to buy in and they've missed it and so to some extent any pullbacks might be well met um for investors so right now it's not a cheap market to buy into but it might not come off as much as people hope okay well thanks very much toby have a great weekend enjoy the crickets of course england and australia playing in the ashes over the weekend that's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Statton Partners in Australia. Thank you for listening this morning and for this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Sam Favre, the CEO at Mandarin Capital. In the second half of the show, I'll be talking with David Costello, the Consul General of Ireland to Hong Kong and Macau, on what will be his final day as Ireland's most senior representative here in Hong Kong. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.